Yes, still we worship him. Amen? Yeah, say, say still we worship him. Now say it like you mean it. Say still we worship him. Come on, dude, I like it. I like it. Still we worship him. No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's going on within us, still, still, still we worship him. You know, last week we covered Job chapter 1. We talked about praising God in the midst of your pain. Man, you know, like I said last week, tears fall down, hands go up, right? Praise him in the midst of it. But really last week we were talking about trying to overcome an event, Right, right, something tragic happens in your life, and, and, and you're left with just the aftermath of it, right? You lose a loved one. You, you lose, a, you know, in a situation. So, you know, something is taken. Whatever happens, you you're, you're experience an event, and then you're left with the aftermath to kind of try to pull yourself together and go on. And that's what we were discussing, man, praising him really in the aftermath of what had happened. Because, I mean, Job, you know, lost his livelihood, lost his wealth, lost his prestige, you know, lost his family. And then it was just him there, you know, trying to figure out how do I go on from here. You know, and the Bible says that he, you know, he, he uh, tore his robe and he, he tore out his hair and, and he fell to his knees and then his hands went up in the air and he praised God in the midst of his pain. But what if we're in a situation where it's not the aftermath of an event that we're trying to get through, but rather... It's a season that we're in. Like, what, what, if it, what if it's not that you're trying to overcome something that's already happened, but what if you're in the midst of a season that seems like it's never going to come to an end? What happens then? What do we do then? You know, a lot of people read Job chapter 1, and then they skip to, to chapter 42, right? I mean, I'm just being honest with you. A lot of people think that's the whole story of Job. You know, the, the, the Chaldeans came down and killed his livestock and stole his servants, and then the house fell on his kids, and, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes us away. Praise be the name of the Lord. And then in chapter 42, God gives him a double portion blessing, gives him everything back that was taken away, and then that's the end of the story, right? Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. But there's a lot more to this story than that. There's actually another 40 chapters of this story because what happens after chapter one is that Job enters in to a season of suffering he enters into a season of suffering not a traumatic event that takes place but Job enters into a season of suffering that lasts for an incredibly extended period of time and that's what we're going to talk about today is that next step. And then next week, just to give you a little overview of what's going to happen, next week we're going to talk about the interactions that he has with his friends, his, his friends, which actually takes up most of the book of Job. And then the, the week after that, we're going to talk about his interaction with God. So just so you know what's upcoming the next few weeks, next week we're talking, going to talk about what it means to be a friend to somebody that's in, in a season of suffering. And then the last week, we'll close this, uh, close this sermon series by, by talking about, you know, Job's interaction with God. So if you would stand to your feet, we're going to read Job chapter 2 today, most of Job chapter 2, not the whole thing, but most of it. And I'm reading from the, from the extra sovereign version today. That's the English standard version, in case some of you don't know. Uh, Job chapter 2, the Bible says this, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. 
And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. You see, Satan is still subservient to God. Satan still has to answer to God. Satan still has to bend the knee before the Lord. And, and the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Now, if you're here last week or if you've read Job, you know that that's the exact same way that Job chapter 1 starts, right? But here's where it shifts. So this is different. He still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Do whatever you want to to him, but you can't kill him. Do whatever you can dream up in your twisted little messed up mind. But you can't take from him what I gave him. You can't take from him the part of me that lives in him. You can't take the breath of life that I bestowed upon him. Because you know the only one that has control over life and death is God himself. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> yes, sir. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Lord Jesus, we come to you today just praising your holy name, worshiping you in the spirit and the truth no matter what comes our way, no matter what comes our way. And God, today I pray that as we walk through a season, that we would walk through that valley of the shadow of death hand in hand with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's just give God a shout of praise today, can we? No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I, love, I love this scripture, man, in Job chapter 2. The Bible says that Job holds fast to, to his integrity. And, and the way that it's worded in the Hebrew that it was written in tends to imply that he holds even, even tighter to his faith now than he did before. He holds fast to his integrity, even in the midst of all this suffering. Like, he's holding on to it so tight, and he refuses to let it go, no matter what happens in his life. And you'll see a stark contrast here. Because just as tight as Job is holding on to his faith, Satan is holding on to his pride. See, Job has been put through the ringer, suffering trauma after trauma after trauma, and even in the aftermath of all that trauma, he holds tightly to his faith. Well, guys, Satan has been defeated here. I told you last week, man, Satan walked away with his... As soon as Job's hands went up, Satan's head went down. He knew that he'd been defeated. It was like that fiddle contest a long time ago. Satan dropped his head because he knew that he'd been beat. And he walked away. And yet he comes back with his pride still intact. 
Now, what kind of person do you have to be to get shut out 50 to nothing and still walk back in like you own the place? Just as tightly as Job holds to his faith, Satan holds on to his pride. And so my question for us today is, guys, what are we holding fast to? What are we holding fast to even when the whole world is telling us to let it go? What are we holding fast to, our faith or our pride? Because those two things do not coalesce. They cannot coexist, and there is no space in our life for one if we are holding fast to the other. Really, I just want to say this. That no matter what we're going through in our life, what we need to be holding on to is Jesus. What we need to be holding on to is Jesus. Because your, your own integrity will only take you so far. And even your faith will only take you so far. At some point, it has to meet the Savior. At some point, our faith has to drag us through that crowd on our hands and knees to throw our hands out to him, even if all that we can grab onto is the hem of his garment. Can you say amen? That our faith has to carry us there at some point. Our faith has to, to get us to this moment to, to where we're willing to do whatever it takes to get where we need to go. I, I love this quote by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Some people leave out the Reverend part. I, I think that's insulting to his legacy. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, if you, can't fly, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you have to do, keep moving forward. Can you say Amen. So, so Carly just talked about it, man, and we didn't even set this stuff up. I swear it's the Holy Spirit of the living God. But if you're in that valley of the shadow of death and you don't see any way out, you cannot stop. Right? You cannot stop and just sit there. And you certainly can't turn around and go back where you've been because God's not a God of where we've been. God's a God of crossing over the Jordan. God's the God of going through the Red Sea. God's the God that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and no matter how long that that valley seems, we got to keep going. We got to keep moving forward, no matter what it takes, no matter what we have to do, no matter what kind of trauma that we experience in our lives, man, we've got to keep moving forward. But the devil, man, the devil holding fast to that pride, which is what caused all his problems in the first place. You ever think? Sometimes maybe the devil wished that he just kept his mouth shut. And, but now he's in too deep. I had talked about this a couple of months ago in one of my sermons too. But like, you ever just get in too deep? You know, and you know, you know you're wrong at this point, right? Like, you know, come on spouses, right? Like, you know that you're wrong at this point. But you're just in too deep to turn around and repent and say, ah, yeah, all that stuff I said, and then the mean things I said to hurt your feelings, and then all the stuff that I did, and then the actions that I've been taking for kind of the last week. Yeah, that's on me. My bad. But we're in too deep. And sometimes I think the enemy just got in too deep, man. I, I think sometimes he would like to turn around and go the other way, but he's just in too deep. And, and, and so he comes up full of his pride, which is what got him in trouble in the first place, like I said. And, and, and some of us will just own it and turn around and go the other way, but not the devil. Not the devil. I mean, he's, he's been beat by God, beat down by Job's praise, defeated, humiliated. You know, all the chorus of heaven laughing at this guy. And uh, if you don't think that's true, there's a couple of the songs where it talks about how God laughs at his enemies. I'm just saying. And 
Satan says this, skin for skin. And, and what he means by that is you, you took the things that he had, you took the relationships that he had, but still you protected him. Right, 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 right. If you'll attack his body and his mind, then surely he will curse you to your face. What the enemy's saying here is that Job's own self is worth more to him than all the things you took away from him in chapter 1. See, see, Job, his own self, you know, perseverance, his own self-preservation is worth more to him than his livelihood, worth more to him than all the wealth you took. And his own self-preservation is even worth more to him than his family is. And by that, he's making a statement not just about Job, but about you too. He's making a statement about us all saying that really when it comes down to it, all they care about is themselves anyway. And yeah, they'll sacrifice everything that they own and have and have worked for. They'll even sacrifice their own families if it means that they can save themselves. What he's saying is that to human beings, the flesh must be worth more than the spirit. But you know, what Satan's really doing here is revealing something about himself, right? What he's really doing is revealing something not about Job and not about us, but Satan's just revealing something about himself because, you know, the ways that we choose to attack other people ultimately just shows the world who we are. And so by making that statement, what, what, what the enemy's really saying is that the flesh is worth more to me. Myself is worth more to me than anything else. And I think that Job's like me. And I bet if you take everything away from him, if you destroy him himself, that's when he'll curse you. That's when he'll deny you. That God is when he will renounce you. The enemy believes that, that flesh is all-powerful. He believes in the riddle of steel. Anybody in here get that reference? Probably not. But he believes in the riddle of steel. He believes that the flesh is the most powerful thing in the universe. I wonder if it's because of this. I wonder if he's just jealous because, you know, Satan is a spirit just like God. So if there's one thing that Satan doesn't really have, it's flesh and bone. Right? He doesn't, doesn't have a body like we have. And we always want what we can't have, don't we? We always want what's not right there readily available to us. And so I wonder if that's why he wants to corrupt it so bad is because he doesn't have it. And so the Bible says this, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, so much that Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself with it while he sat in the ashes. I want to describe to you the suffering that Job went through. And, and, and that, you know, those two verses kind of lay it out, but, but, but it, in, in the following chapters it describes it way more thoroughly. And so I just want you guys to get a picture of, of what it is that Job was dealing with in his life. Uh, the Bible says in Job 30, 17 that he experienced intense pain. My bones pierce me in the night, and my gnawing pains take no rest. Uh, his skin peeled and darkened. Uh, Job 30, 30 says, my skin grows black and falls from me. Uh, Job 7, 5 says he had pus-filled erupting sores. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. Uh, he was emaciated. Uh, my bone clings to my skin and to my flesh, Job 19, 20. He had a fever. My bones burn with fever, Job 30, 30. 
He was depressed. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Job 7, 16. My heart is in turmoil and I cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me. I go about in mourning, but not in the sun. Job 30, 27 and 28. Uh, he couldn't sleep. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise and the night be ended? Job 7, 4. He had nightmares. Then you scare me in my dreams and terrify me with visions. Job 7, 14. He had putrid, putrid breath. My breath is offensive to my wife. Job 19 and 17. Halitosis, right? Stricken with severe halitosis. Difficulty breathing. He will not allow me to catch my breath. Job 19, 18. Failing vision. On my eyelids is the shadow of death. Job 16, 16. Rotting teeth. Uh, I've escaped by the skin of my teeth, Job 19 and 20. He looked haggard. When they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him, Job 2.12. This condition lasted for months. Job 29.2 says, Oh, that I were in the months past. And Job 7.3 says, I have been allotted months of futility. Whew. It gets bad, huh? I mean, that's bad. I mean, can you imagine being stricken with all those things at the same time? I mean, we deal with one of those things, and we're like, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. But he's dealing with all this stuff at the same time, and it's just all just consuming his body. Not just his body, though. Also his mind. Everything but his spirit. Everything but the spirit that lives within him has been stricken with disease, with, with malady, with, with affliction, with, with everything that you could imagine to, uh, you know, inflict upon somebody. And th there's even a point here in, in the next chapter, actually, to where Job says, God, that you would just let me die. Oh, please, God, just, just take my life from me. And he goes on later to say, God, I wish that I had never been born. The pain that he was under, the, the, the torment that he was under was so terrible that, that he wished that he was dead, that, that he wished that he had never been born. And yet still he never cursed God. Still he never renounced God. Still he held fast to his integrity. Still, he held fast to his faith. But it comes down to this, guys. Is the struggle, is, is, is life worth the struggle of life? Is life worth the struggle of life and does situation or circumstance change the answer to this question? Did the situation or circumstance change whether or not life is worth the struggle of life? And it's a question that we all have to deal with. It's a question that we all have to answer. And, and, and I think of that it's like this, man. If, if, like for the atheist or the naturalist, I mean, that's something they really have to wrestle with because, like, for the person that doesn't have God or any hope of God in their life, when, when the struggle of life becomes more than the worth of life, then they have some real questions that they need to answer. Like, who are you really? I mean, what do you really believe? I mean, where are you really going with this whole thing? Like, what is life to you anyway? Because when the struggle of life becomes so much heavier than the blessings of life, man, somebody that has no God in their life and has no hope of God in their life has to really, really think about what they really are saying that they believe. But, but church, for us that have God, 
or for us that have even, even the smallest inkling of a hope of God in your life, then I would state this, that no matter how big the struggle gets, no matter how overwhelming that the mountains seem, no matter how painful the life is that you're experiencing, if you've got God in your life or if you even have the smallest smidgen of a bitty, bitty hope in God and of God, then yes, the answer is yes. The resounding answer is yes, that no matter how big the struggle gets, that life in God is worth living. Can you say amen? No matter what happens. No matter what you get locked into, no matter what you have to go through, man, if you have God in your life or if you just have a little bit of a hope in the God of hope, then it's worth living. Because no matter what you have to go through, he will be there to walk through it with you. And so, so Job's wife, Job's wife comes up to him. And says this, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Guys, the world is going to do everything it can to get you to throw in the towel. The, the enemy is going to do everything that he can to try to get you to lay down the life that God has given you anything that he can to get you to renounce God, anything that he can to get you to walk away from the faith. And Job's wife comes up, man, and we give her a really hard time, don't we? Ah, Job's wife. You're acting like Job's wife today. We give her a hard time. And she deserves some of it. But at the same time, can you imagine her pain right now? She lost everything that Job lost. I mean, the stories about Job, I, I know, but she lost everything that Job lost. I mean, she lost her livelihood, too. She lost her, her wealth, too. She lost her prestige, too. Even more importantly than that, she lost her ten children. Look, there's nothing on the face of this earth like a mother's love. Let's just be honest. There, there's nothing so beautiful and powerful and heart, you know, affecting and wrenching and healing than that of a mother's love. And for her to lose all ten of her children in one fell swoop, I, I, don't, I don't even know how she even ha has the strength to even function. And her pain is very real. And the enemy swoops in and uses that pain. The, the pain that she deserves to have. I mean, she's earned that pain. She deserves the hurt. She deserves it, man. She deserves the hurt. That, that's hers. And she owns it and it belongs to her. And the enemy swoops in and he uses her pain as a weapon against Job. The same way that God used Job's pain as a weapon to defeat the enemy, Satan reaches in and uses Job's wife's pain to try to destroy Job and in turn to defeat God. And his wife comes up and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Because she knows that the only thing that's keeping him holding on by a thread is the fact that he's holding on to his faith with everything that he's got. And she thinks that if he'll just let go of that thread of faith, that he'll just go on out. That he'll just go on out. Why don't you just curse God and die? Do you know whose voice that, that is speaking? It's not Job's wife's voice. It's not. It may sound like her. 
and, and it might have the same inflections that she does, but that's not the voice of Job's wife speaking. Do, do you hear his voice in the text? I mean, do you hear his voice in the text? See, I know what he sounds like. I know what the enemy of God sounds like because, you know, the Bible says that we know what our shepherd's voice is. And I used to serve him. I used to serve him. He used to be my shepherd. I know what his voice sounds like. I have not forgotten what his voice sounds like. I know what his voice sounds like. I can see it in the scripture. I can see it coming off the page. Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? And you'll be full. You won't have to suffer this hunger anymore. Just do it. What? Why don't you just jump off the top of this temple and all the pain can come to an end? Why don't you just bow down and worship me and I'll take it all away? Yeah, we both know what's coming. Bow down and worship me and you won't have to suffer and you won't have to die. Bow down and worship me and I'll make everything okay. Do you hear his voice? Just curse God and die. Just curse God. Just curse God and, and die. Just give in to the flesh. Because you see, really, that's all the enemy wants. I told you what he values above all things, right? He values the flesh above all things. And all he wants you to do is to give in to the flesh, to deny God and to give in to the flesh. Now, whether he does it by pain or whether he does it by pleasure, it doesn't matter. But the enemy's ultimate goal is to get you to give up on God and give in to the flesh. Can you say amen? That's his goal. That's his ultimate goal. All he wants you to do is give up on God and give in to the flesh. Man, just give up Curse God and die, man. Give in to the pain. Give in to the suffering. Deny God. I'll make it all go away. I'll make it all go away. And I know some of us have heard this same voice in our lives. Just give in. Just give in to the, give in to the pain. There's relief at the bottom of this bottle. There's relief in the plunge of this syringe. There's relief in the, in, in, in the little three-digit number on the back of that credit card. There's relief in there. There's relief in the arms of a lover. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's relief in all these things of the flesh. There's relief in all these things of the world. And then there's the ultimate lie that he comes to us with. There's relief at the end of the barrel of that gun. There's relief. The enemy says to us, you won't have to hurt any more. You won't have to hurt anymore. Yeah. Guys, I know his voice well. Even when he sounds like me, I know his voice. I've been listening to it for two weeks now. I know his voice. Even when it sounds like one of my loved ones, I still know his voice voice. But you know what? To right now, today, right here at the Way Church, man, I rebuke him in Jesus' name because the devil is a liar and he's always been a liar and he's always going to be a liar. And you know what? I'm not going to give in and I'm not going to bow down. And you know what else? By the blood of Christ, I will never die. Can you say amen? And yeah, give him a shout of praise because he deserves it. He deserves it. I'll never die. I'll never die. 
The only relief that I need is the relief that I will find in him. In him. And yeah, it may hurt a while. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. It's okay. Because you know what? There's another voice that I know. You guys ever heard that other voice? There's another voice that I know. You know, the devil comes speaking sweet nothings in your ear, doesn't he? But did you hear what I said? They're sweet, but when it comes down to it, they are nothing. And yet there's another voice that doesn't come speaking sweet nothings. There's another voice that comes speaking truth and grace that comes to sustain us with the bread of life and living water. John 10.10 says that my sheep will know my voice and they'll follow me wherever that I go. Can you say amen? Even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death. Because I know his voice too. And his voice is truth, and his voice is grace, and his voice is love. And yes, yeah, sometimes his voice hurts a little bit. Sometimes his voice is that sword of the spirit that cuts between flesh and bone and, and, and soul and spirit, man. Sometimes his voice says some things that we don't want to hear, and yet still he's good all the time. Still he's good all the time. You ever notice in Scripture when Satan talks, Jesus just listens? But when Jesus talks, Satan runs away. Satan runs away. Because he can't handle the truth. And he can't handle the grace of the living God. You speak as a foolish woman speaks. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? And throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So what's all this stuff mean? Well, it means this. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, starting in verse 11, the Bible says this. It is just verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap the harvest if we do not give up. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sins that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So you've got a race marked out just for you. And it's not anybody else's race. It's your race. And it's not anybody else's walk. It's your walk. You know, I, talked, I preached about that a few weeks ago, right? Like your, your path to Jesus is not the same as everybody's path to Jesus. And then your journey with Jesus, that also is not the same as everybody's journey with Jesus. There's a race marked out just for you. That's not what I'm preaching on, but that's true. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him that gives me strength. Romans 5, 3 and 4, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Deuteronomy 31, 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face jail. Oh, joy. Oh, joy. I'm in it right now. Oh, joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Romans 8, 25, for if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Colossians 1, 9 through 11, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened by power according to his glorious might so that you may have endurance and patience. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, there's just a lot that I need to get out to y'all here today in this. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. James 1.12, blessed is the one that perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to him, those that love him. Psalm 37.24, though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him in his hand. Can somebody say amen? Here's what it comes down to, guys. See, sometimes, sometimes you don't experience an event. Sometimes you have to walk through a season. And if you have to walk through a season of suffering, you better do it with a Savior. Because he's the only one that can get us through. You see, in an extended drought where there's no water to be had, he's living water. In a famine where there is nothing to sustain you, only he is the bread of life. In the coldest winter, he's the fire of God. When the flood comes, man, he's the ark of our salvation. When you are wounded, he is the balm of Gilead. When you are thrown in the fire, he is there in the midst of it with you. And the enemy's thinking, hey, didn't I throw him in all that suffering by himself? Who's that other guy in there with him? Who's that other guy in there with him? I could have swore that I bound him in his sorrow and tossed him into the fire of his suffering all on his own. And who is it that's in there with him? And then the devil has to look around at his troop of fallen angels and say, oh, no. He looks like the Son of God. And when you're walking through whatever it is that you're walking through, hand in nail-scarred hand with the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah, when you're walking through whatever season of suffering that you have to walk through, 
when you're experiencing physical pain, when you're experiencing mental pain, when you're going through all this trauma, when you are walking through it hand in nail-scarred hand with him, the enemy already knows that he has been beaten. And he may hang on to his pride, and he may keep throwing stuff at you over and over and over and over again. But that does not change the fact that on the third day, the stone rolled away because my Redeemer and your Redeemer lives. And as long as he's alive, there is hope for the people of God. Can you say amen? And that's the truth. And that's the truth. So you see how, man, Job suffered and Job persevered through it all. Through it all. Through it all. And I'm sure that there were times in his life and there's been times in our life when that shadow, that valley of the shadow of death seems to go on forever and ever and ever. There's times that we want to quit. That we just want to lay down and give up and give in. Because the hurt just became too much. The weight of our sorrow became just too heavy to carry anymore. And there's times in our life when we feel like that everything that we have is broken and gone. And we feel like that those people that were supposed to love us the most have turned their back on us. And we even feel like that our relationship with God is just so distant and so weak that not even He not even he can carry us on. And every bit of that is a lie from the pits of hell. But it's a lie that we too often believe. Because here's the truth. Our current suffering is a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. And yeah, people will fail you every single day. But 99% of the time, they didn't set out to hurt you. The enemy just plans the circumstance just right because he's no fool. But the most important thing to remember is this. You're never so far away that the hand of God cannot reach you. You're never so broken apart that the the greatest carpenter in all the earth can't put your pieces back together. And this may be the hardest truth for us to grasp. You're never so wise that you have his whole plan for you figured out.
Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are more than our thoughts. Everything that happens in your life has been orchestrated down to the finest detail. He, he put the earth just far enough away from the sun that life could exist. And he put you in just the right moment in your life that you could bring him glory. And that he could find you wherever you are. Because like our awesome worship leader said, sometimes it's in the midst of the struggle where the biggest praises go up. Sometimes it's in the midst of our pain where we realize that even if the life that we're living is not worth the struggle, the life that he has planned for us is, is, always is. You talk like one of the foolish women. I like what he said because he didn't say she was foolish. He told her she was acting out of character. In other words, in that moment, Job knew she was under the influence of the enemy. He knew she was under the influence of the enemy. You're talking out of character, baby. Your voice sounds like you, but the things that you're saying don't seem like that they're coming from you. You're talking like one of the foolish women. And guess what? I'm not going to listen to it. The things that you're saying are coming from the enemy, and the enemy has no purchase here. These words that say that I'm not worth it, these words that are saying that my pain is meaningless, these words that are saying that I should give up on God and give in to the flesh, man, they didn't come from the Lord. That's the voice of the enemy. I know it. I recognize it. And I rebuke it in the name of the Lord. You sound like one of the foolish. And I ain't going to hear it today. Are we supposed to take blessings from God? And turn away adversity? Are we supposed to pick up our cross and follow Jesus until it gets a little hard? Are we supposed to walk halfway up the hill of Calvary and then just lay it down? Are we supposed to just, just, just leave him by the roadside when things get difficult in life? No. No. This life in Christ is going to be filled with ups and downs, highs and lows, pain and pleasure, blessings and curses.